Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open together, please, the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. We come back again to this uh, particular book of the Bible and over the last several weeks, with the exception of last Sunday, uh, we spent time here in this portion of God's Word. And uh, I must confess to you that the, the subject matter of the book of 1 Corinthians is rather weighty, isn't it? It's a very heavy book. Uh, it's a very convicting book. It's an, it's an uncomfortable book. Um, may I tell you, it's a needed book. We are living in a society that uh, really typifies much of the things the Apostle Paul speaks against and warns of. And may God help us this morning as we come again to the Word of God. But just kind of review, since we were not in this, not in this book last week, just remember that while, Paul, while on a second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul, alongside Timothy and Silas and, and Luke, Plan, uh, spent a year and a half in the city of Corinth and, and planted the church there in this carnal city. God blessed Paul with co- the co-laborers, that he, his friends Priscilla and Aquila, with whom he wrought in the craft of tent making. And eventually a man named Apollos came from, from Alexandria and, and began to lead the church there. And, uh, but over, over time, things began to creep into the church. Uh, things that were not of, of heresy, uh, nor they of false doctrine, but rather carnality. The problem that the Corinthian church had was that they were a fleshly church. You see, the word carnal is, uh, means fleshly, and may I tell you, the flesh is the antithesis of the spirit. And their carnality was manifested in three ways. One, uh, through contentions among the church, uh, through their, the condoning of sin by the church, and their, and their carelessness in worship of a holy God. And we left off at the end of chapter 3. If Just turn back one page. And then verse 23 of chapter 3, there's a profound statement here that really settles everything in the Christian life as it pertains to how we live and what we do the Bible says that ye are Christ. You belong to the Lord. You've been bought with a price. You and I are to glorify the Lord with our lives. And with these things in mind, I invite you to stand with me this morning as we read together here in God's Word. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. They're in Corinth because, may I tell you, they were not living for the praise of God but for the praise of man. The carnal Christian is not living for the praise of God. He's living for the praise of man. And may I tell you, we are all guilty of it, aren't we? We all like people to say that we've done just a splendid job. We all like people to tell us how, how good we are, though even Jesus said there's none good but one who's God. We all like to, to be better or to be or to have the notoriety. We, we are all looking for the praise of man, where in reality we should be looking and striving for the praise of God. You see, this is driven by the lust of our lives. I want you to hold your place here in 1 Corinthians and look to the, what the Bible says in 1 John, chapter number 2. Again, a, a, a chapter, a reference we, we, we turn to often. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, 
beginning in verse number 17, we're instructed saying, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We are tempted to place the emphasis of life on the things of this world. The world has a system. How, how many of you are familiar with that? You, we understand that there is a world system. Uh, that the things that the world deems important, the things the world deems significant, the world, uh, the world tells us to live a certain way and to think a certain way and to operate a certain way, to function a certain way. And, and, and God warns us against those things. Why? Because the things that the world values have no value to the Lord. Although God created the, the universe, the Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Jesus created all things. Without Him were not, it was not anything made that was made. And while God places value on His creation, the system of the world has no value to God. Because there is a right way to live and there is a wrong way to live, but the world wants us to live its way. The Bible says, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And the Lord warns us to, to walk worthy of His calling, to, to live a life that glorifies and honors Christ. And in, in verse number 16 of 1 John chapter 2, we see here a, what this world system places the emphasis upon. The Bible says in verse 16, For all that is in the world. Well, what is in the world? Well, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I want to abide forever. I think I told you the story years ago. Man, it must have been around 2011 or so. Uh, I took a trip to New England. I was all alone. Because if my wife was with me, she would have warned me not to do what I'm about to tell you I did. Uh, but I remember I was driving through Massachusetts. And, uh, and I was in western Massachusetts driving up the interstate. And, and I was driving to Rutland, Vermont. At the time, my wife and I were, were seriously... Uh, praying for what God would have uh, for our family as far as next step of ministry. Uh, we were praying about planting a church in Connecticut or, or Massachusetts or even in Vermont. And I remember I was driving from, from, uh, from Greenfield, Massachusetts, uh, up to Rutland, Vermont. And I remember as I was driving up the interstate, just before I crossed over into Vermont, I looked over and, and I saw the sign in the road that said Northfield, Massachusetts. And I'm like, Northfield, Massachusetts? That's where D.L. Moody was born and raised, was in Northfield, Massachusetts. That's where he had his great school of ministry. That's where Mount Hermon School was. And so I, so I made a mental note of that. I said, well, on my way back to Boston, I'm going to allow myself to stop and maybe spend just a few hours here in, in Northfield, Massachusetts, just walking around and seeing uh, what I could see, stopping by Mount Hermon School. Well, on my way back through, I stopped, and I went to Mount Hermon School and, and walked around there for a few minutes and took some pictures since, since then I've lost uh, and misplaced. But as I drove into Northfield, Massachusetts, 
uh, I looked, and, and right there in the town square, uh, there was uh, a house where D.L. Moody was born, and I took some pictures of that, and I looked across the way, and, and there was this huge, this huge chapel there. It was where D.L. Moody would preach, and uh, where they would have revival meetings, and uh, people like R.A. Torrey and Ira Sankey, and all these great men, uh, Philip Bliss, who would all come and, and sing and preach. And I remember, I got to, I've got to get into this building. And so I began to walk around, and wouldn't you notice that there was a door open? I, I didn't break in. There was no breaking and entering. I did not break the law. The door was open. So I believe that was a sign from the Lord saying, enter, uh, entrez-vous. <laughs> uh, and so I walked in, and I began to look around, and I, 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 would wa- I walked all around. I was sitting in, up in, in the cathedral sides. It had a, a balcony and, uh, that wrapped around, and, and I remember I would, I would just walk around. I would sit, and I just... Just wonder, man, what it must have been like to, to hear these great men stand and thunder forth the word of God. And, and, and I remember making my way down, and I, and I stood right on the, on the platform, right where the pulpit would have, would have stood. And I just, man, all the shoes of the men of God that, that stood in this place. It was humbling, like, man, alive. I thought about preaching for a minute, but nobody was there, but. And I remember finding this, this stairway that led up into this bell tower. And as I started to walk up this rickety old stairway, going up to the top of this bell tower, wisdom kicked in. Right? thought, if, if I fall from this thing, nobody's going to know I'm here. You know? Who knows how long I would lay here writhing in agony and pain or dead, you know, before somebody would find me. So I, got, I quickly climbed down. But before I did, I happened to look out a window. And as I looked across the green, there was, there was, a, uh, there was a grove of pine trees and, and there, was this, there was a gated, uh, fenced-in section there. And I thought, well, that's, I wonder what that is. And as I climbed down, I walked across the way and, and it was the grave of D.L. Moody and his wife. But on D.L. Moody's headstone, read the inscription here, 1 John 5, 17, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What is the will of God? The will of God for everyone, the Bible says, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance The will of God is that every man, woman, and child in this world would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we don't all do God's will. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We have eternal life. But in the meanwhile, there are are things that, that keep people from doing the will of God. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, while the lust of the flesh is the carnal desire to do something God did not create you to do, and the lust of the eyes is the carnal desire to have something God did not create you to have, the pride of life is the carnal desire to be someone God did not create you to be. And as we contemplate this truth in our hearts, I I believe this is what the Apostle Paul is is referencing in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This desire to be someone that God did not create me to be. 
And in so doing, this pride, this desire to, to receive all the praise and all the glory and all the fame and all the recognition, to have that pat on the back, to be invited to the, uh, to the chief rooms as Jesus spoke of with His disciples. This pride, this desire to be great is a great deterrent from doing the will of God. Christians, be warned to not seek the praise of man, but rather seek the praise of God. We are living in a society that is overwhelmed with the seeking of the praise of man. I try to not get on social media. It is a waste of time. It is the dregs of society, oftentimes. Though we have it, though we seek to... We attempt to use it for God's glory, isn't it? It's like a bottomless pit. Man, he's just scroll, and this nonsense, and nonsense, and more nonsense. Peruse Facebook. What is Facebook about? I've never seen anyone post about anything or anyone other than themselves on Facebook. It's, hey, look at me. It's like, Pastor, stop talking about these things, right? We want to pretend to be somebody. We want to impress somebody we've never met. We want to impress people that we don't even like. We're seeking the praise of man. Our society today is all about the praise of man. And may I tell you, it has found its way into the hearts of many Christian people. And the Apostle Paul, he's, 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 he's writing and he says, then shall ye have the praise of God. Isn't that what? I would rather have the praise of God than the praise of man. Do you realize that the praise of man is not real? I've, met, I've known people that that uh, have said all kinds of nice things to my face and then betrayed me. The praise of man, the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. If we're only living to impress man and to please man, you must be very, very careful because you're living for the wrong thing. You and I, we must learn to live and to seek the praise of God. And as we consider this truth today, I'd like to share with you three principles or lessons that we can take from these first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that will strengthen our hearts in this matter of seeking the praise of God. The first is this. Why don't you write these things down? I believe they'll be a help to you. The first is this. Be a faithful steward. Be a faithful steward. The Bible says this in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 4, let, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, notice, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You and I, we must determine to be faithful stewards. According to Paul, we have been made stewards of the mysteries of God. What does he mean that we are stewards of the mysteries of God? Well, the term steward speaks of those who are house distributors. 
or an overseer. And, and if you're going to entrust anyone with your possessions, you would hope they would be faithful and not misuse or not misappropriate things. I May mean, I tell you that faithfulness is a critical requirement for a steward. Uh, this morning in, in Sunday school hour, we, we looked at the life of Joseph. Would you hold your place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and, and turn with me, please, to the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter number 39, we find here the life of Joseph. And one of the key components of Joseph's life was that he was a faithful steward. Now, the Bible says this in verse 1 of chapter 39, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him and, uh, of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought, uh, brought him down thither. So Joseph, his brethren have betrayed him. They have sold him into slavery in Egypt. The Ishmaelites have come and in a great caravan have, have carried Joseph down uh, into Egypt. And, and there he is on, on display and he's purchased like an animal. What a wretched situation it must have been. Horrible. And he's bought, he's purchased by Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Potiphar's job is that he is in charge of all the prisons in Egypt. He's a rough man. He's a tough man. No doubt he's a wealthy man. He's a, he, has, he has much position, a high position, high res, much respect garnered there in the land of Egypt. And this is the house into which Joseph is placed. And the Bible says this in verse 2. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And we can thank the Lord for that. We can thank the Lord that he is with us. He, the Bible says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We have a friend who's closer than a brother. The Bible says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And, and Joseph found grace in, the si in his sight and served him. And the Bible says this in verse 4, And he made him overseer, of his house. You know what this means? He was made the, the steward of Potiphar's house. He says, And all that he had was put in his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer uh, in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in, his, in the house and in the field. He says, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all uh, he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. But Joseph was an overseer. He was a faithful steward. He was a trusted man. You, you have to trust the steward. And you and I have been entrusted with something very special that God has given. The Bible tells us that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Reminded even in, in Matthew chapter 25 of the, of the work of God in our lives. And we read of the parable of the talents in, in Matthew chapter 25. And how uh, one, one, of the, one of the servants that he had been given a talent, he went out, he invested uh, the ten and made ten more. Uh, the Lord and uh, the, the master then and took another servant and, and gave him five talents. And he went out and he invested those talents and made five talents more. And then he gave one talent to another 
servant who proved to be unjust and untrustworthy. Because he took that talent and went and buried it in the ground. When the master came, they were called to give account of their stewardship. And while the first two were praised for their faithful stewardship, the third was condemned. Because he had taken that and buried it and hid it. Christians, you and I have been given much, haven't we not? What is this? What are these mysteries of God? A simple study of the New Testament would reveal that the mysteries of God are those things primarily dealing with and surrounding the atoning work of Christ, the church, and eternity. That, that Christ became a man, that Christ died and, and rose from the grave, that Christ has extended the gospel to the Gentiles, for which I am grateful, that Christ has established the church and commissioned her to take the gospel and, uh, to the ends of the earth, that Christ will soon return for his bride, the church, that Christ will allow the Antichrist to come to power and and there will be seven-year tribulation period during which time Christ uh, will work to bring the Jewish nation back to himself. But, but may I tell you to, this morning that you and I have been are, are stewards of the mysteries of God. God has entrusted his, his special message to our care. These mysteries of God are so valuable. Why? Because they came at a very heavy price. These mysteries... Uh, the, the word mystery means something that was not revealed. And there were things in the Old Testament that were not spoken of that are spoken of in the New Testament. They were a mystery. And, and now we see them. And, and, and you and I, we are New Testament Christians. And we have these mysteries. And God has given us the great responsibility to go and to take them and to share them with others. In, in 2 Corinthians, won't you look with me please in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. May I tell you, there's a lot of that in the world today. But by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In verse 3, the Bible says this, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach on ourselves. But Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Friends, you and I, we have been given this great and lofty responsibility to take the gospel, the, the riches of Christ, to a lost and dying world. Either we will be faithful stewards or we'll be unfaithful stewards. But if we want, the, if we're living for the praise of God, we recognize, we understand fully 
that we mustn't hide the gospel. That we mustn't keep these truths to ourselves. That all the earth needs to hear the message of salvation. If we're going to live for the praise of God, we've got to be faithful stewards. Faithfully distributing the gospel message to this lost and dying world. We mustn't fear what man might say or think or do. We must live unequivocally for the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the second lesson we find here this morning. Is that we must also commit our ways to Christ. To commit your way to Christ. Look back in in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians and notice what the Bible says in verse 3. Paul says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. And will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. You and I, we must commit our ways to the Lord. Why would we do such a thing? Well, if if we believe that, that Christ truly is the judge. If we believe that one day, as Paul has spoken, that, that we will stand before Christ in judgment. Then why would we not commit our ways to Him? Why would we not live... For him. Why would we continue to live for self? Why would we continue to live for the praise of man? You, you know what? I am glad that I am not going to stand before you in judgment. And you should be very happy you're not going to stand before me. I'm just kidding. But the reality is that I'm not the judge of you. And you're not the judge of me. Paul said, hey, it's a, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. He says, I don't really care. You know what he meant by that? He says, I don't care what you think. And you know what? You and I, we need to live that way. You shouldn't care what other people think. You know, over 16 years ago, I tricked my wife into marrying me. You know, we've decided that we were just going to have a raise our family for God's glory. That we were going to follow the Word of God regardless of what other people we know and love and trust said. Because they're not the judge of me, the Lord's the judge. And if you're anything like me, if your life experience has been anything similar to that of mine, people have disagreed with you about a great many things, haven't they? They've questioned, well, why did you do that? What, the, the, here's a great question. What were you thinking? Right? But may I tell you, it doesn't matter. Everybody has an opinion. You know, we, we look, and, and the Bible tells us that we should judge all things. We're to judge all things according to the word of God. 
But the work of a man's life, that's not, that's not for me to judge. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to look with me, please, over or back just a few pages to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 14. We see this beginning in verse number 10 of Romans 14. The Bible says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. May I tell you, this is one of what we would call a Baptist distinctive. We would call this the priest, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, soul liberty. Individual soul liberty. Uh, personal accountability. I am accountable to God for, for, for everything that I do. More so than you. Read the book of Hebrews. Pastors, preachers, we are held in higher judgment for the things of our lives. But the reality is this. We, we live our lives to make others happy when we should be living to make God happy. The Bible says this back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. I want to be accepted of my Lord. When I, so when I stand before Him, He's pleased that the works of my life are acceptable. That they're not wrought in, in un, impure motives. That I didn't do it for me. That I didn't live to make others happier, to, to get that pat on the back or that attaboy. But to be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I want you to look with me, please. Back in the book of Psalms. In Psalm number 37, please. In Psalm 37, in verse number 1, the Bible says this, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. And so oftentimes we live for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But all of that's going to be gone one day. Fret not ourselves because of evildoers. Don't be envious of their ways. Don't worry about them and don't want what they have. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. But the Bible says in verse number 3, notice, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. And as we consider the, the, the admonition that Paul writes in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, we read here 
In Psalm 37, in verse number 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And he says in verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Friends, you and I, we just need to live for God. Commit your life to Him. Trust the Lord. Rest in Him. Place your confidence in Him. Stop stop worrying about what people might say or think. None of that matters. You know what I'm glad about? Elementary school's over. High school is gone. All right. I was working on some things earlier this week, and I thought about, had to think about high school. Man, that was a long time ago. Man, that's a long time ago. You remember, you remember grade school? I hated grade school. I'm not going to lie. I despised it. I was like, oh, I'm so happy to go back to school. You're crazy, man. I don't know what you're talking about. But I hated the clicks. You know, there, I hated all the, the gossip, all the all the games that people played. And it's the same everywhere you go. We, we don't take this the wrong way, but we need to grow up. The Bible says that we're not to be respecters of people. Around this room, we all come from different backgrounds, different upbringings, but we're all the same. We're all equally loved by the Lord. God's intention for our lives is that we would just simply live for Him and not care about what other people think. Keeping up with the Joneses mentality. uh, Where's that got you? We need to live for God. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. I want you to look ahead in, in the book of Proverbs. We see similar instruction. In Proverbs 16, in verse 2, the Bible says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. In verse 3 of Proverbs 16, the Bible says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Every one of us, every one of us will stand before God one day and give account of our lives to the righteous judge. We mustn't live for the judgment of man, the acceptance of man. We must live solely and purely for Christ. Christian, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. If you're, if you're seeking the praise of God, you've got to just decide now. I'm going to live for Him. I don't care what anybody else says. There, there will always be the naysayer. There will always be the doubter. There will, be, there will always be the one who says or thinks something that, that you won't agree with that, that would just do nothing but discourage you in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. 
but you've got to live for Jesus. Notice our last lesson here this morning. Look back with me, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And may I tell you, perhaps this is the most important thing this morning. How can I live for the praise of God? Look what the Bible says in verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, you and I, we must learn to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. See, if the Lord will one day bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, should we not then guard our hearts against the sin of impure motives? The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The Lord will not only reveal what we did. He says in verse 5, He says, uh, Therefore judge nothing before the time. What is this time? The time of Jesus comes. That time where we stand uh, before Christ at the judgment seat. Everything we do will be revealed. Nothing will be hidden. We will stand there. And give account of everything, whether you remember it or not. But not only will we give account for the things we've done, but we'll give account for why we did what we did. The counsels of the heart. Why do you do what you do? It's a heavy question, isn't it? What drives you? Shouldn't it be the glory of God? If we will receive the praise of God, man, I must guard my heart against the lust of the flesh, against the lust of the eyes, and against the pride of life. Instead of living for my gain and glory, which we are all prone to do, I must begin living for God's gain and God's glory. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote the church in Philippi. Turn quickly, please, as we close this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 7. Paul said, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He says in verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul understood the value there, didn't he? But he says there in verse number 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, 
being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? What matters most? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that matters most. He's the one for whom we ought to be living. We must be seeking His glory. We must be living for His praise. So guard your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And if you will be a faithful steward, if you will commit your ways to Christ, and if you will guard your heart, perhaps one day you'll hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you'll have the praise of God, which is the only thing that matters. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,